Hi, I'm Keith Kellogg, retired Lieutenant General of the United States Army. I served extensive time in the Trump White House, and I just finished a book, War by Other Means, a general in the Trump White House. And I had an opportunity to talk about the book with Steve Cates, a wonderful program called The Rights. He gave me an opportunity to explain why I wrote the book, basically eliminating the caricature of Donald J. Trump that a lot of people in the main media see, and I saw him from inside for the entire time we were in the White House, 1,461 days longer than anybody else. And I appreciated Steve's opportunity to give me a chance to talk about it on Call the Rights. Thank you very much. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the exciting show that you tell us you like so much, A Call to Rights with me, Steve Cates. For well over 15 years, we've talked and, of course, educated the public on so many wonderful issues as this radio show's main theme is, and I say it proudly, always refuse to be a victim. A victim is simply someone with no options. Always fight back legally and responsibly. The main themes of the radio show have and always will continue to be American exceptionalism, our Constitution, our Bill of Rights and our Second Amendment rights, too. And if that's not a mouthful, today, a very special guest, a brand-new Regnery book. And ladies and gentlemen, in just a few moments, we'll be introducing you to General Keith Kellogg. He's a retired military officer. His brand-new book, War by Other Means, a general in the Trump White House. And a brief background of our special guest is in order. A soldier reports, offering a dire warning. General Keith Kellogg has served America his entire life in uniform and out, from Vietnam and Panama to the 9-11 attack on the Pentagon and the political infighting within the Trump White House. His message, America's hardest battles are yet to come. And his extraordinary memoir of combat and politics, the only national security advisor who worked on Trump's campaign and served throughout his presidency, provides a discerning eyewitness account of those tumultuous years, avoiding polemics but holding back nothing. General Kellogg served as chief of staff of the National Security Council acting National Security Advisor to the President and National Security Advisor to the Vice President. Whether the issue was counterterrorism, North Korea, or the coronavirus pandemic, Kellogg was there, working side-by-side with Donald Trump, Mike Pence, White House staff, and members of the Cabinet and the nation's top military leaders. With that, General Kellogg, welcome to A Call to Rights. Thank you for being here. Steve, thank you for having me. That, that sounds my, like my eulogy. Thanks very much. Very good. <laughs> well, sir, good. I want to say this. Good to be again. with you, sir. Well, thank you. And again, thank you for your service to our great nation. I spent a short time in the Army, but more important than my career, I just wanted to memorialize those that have passed and those that have, of course, given their lives to America's service in our, in our military as we approach another Veterans Day 2021. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Talking about this book, I find it fascinating. In some 15 or 16 chapters, you highlight not only your life as a young man, of course, from California, going into the United States Army, working his way up, and then what? The commander of the 82nd Airborne, as, as you know better, sir. I have many Ranger friends. What is it they say? Rangers lead the way? Is that correct, sir? That is correct, and it's airborne all the way, and Rangers lead the way. So it's two, two uh, very, very well corresponding organizations. They complement each other very well. Describe in Chapter 1 the education of a soldier. Briefly tell us a little bit about your background, and then I'd like to highlight, of course, the things that you were so much involved in in the Trump administration. Yeah, yeah well, Steve, you know what? I, I always wanted to be in the military. In fact, I wanted to go to West Point, but I, my academic credentials weren't very good. I think it was too focused on football and girdles at the time. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I did went through ROTC, was commissioned out of that, and then 
that time the Vietnam War was going on, and I volunteered to go to Vietnam and got me in the right unit, which was the 101st Airborne Division. So I deployed with them and had an incredible first tour with them. And, you know, he said, I just wanted to stay, and cause I really enjoyed the leadership and the people and patriotism and dedication to America. And then I uh, went back a second time with special operations uh, advising Cambodian forces and then just stayed in and, and did the normal progression of events as you, as a normal infantry officer does, eventually culminating with commanding the Army's 82nd Airborne Division, which to me was the real highlight uh, and the opportunity that I had to do that. And, and, you know, I just had a lot of great commanders and leaders along the way and really some pretty distinct personalities. And uh, I, I never never regretted a minute of it. Uh, you know, I feel pretty good. And I think the legacy that I leave is the fact that both my daughter and my son have joined the military. They both went to West Point. Um, and, you know, stayed in them, and my son is now deployed as well. So I think I liked what we saw and, and liked what we did. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, our very special guest on this edition of the Call to Rights Radio Show and author of a brand-new Regnery book, we're speaking with retired Army Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg. He's dedicated his life to national service with tours, of course, of duty in Vietnam, Panama, and Iraq, as well as he's mentioned commanding the 82nd Airborne Division. His book, War by Other Means, a general in the Trump White House. I'd like to transition to part two, political life. Talk a little bit about how you got connected with the Trump administration. I find this yeah, fascinating. Well, and some of the things. Yeah, have me, me too. Yeah. Honestly, Steve, me too. Is what happened is after I left the military, I went to the business world for about 10 years and ran business operations in and said, you know, this was okay, but it wasn't like what I did in the military. And I got, and I looked. Uh, to do something different, and I made contact with a gentleman by the name of Jack Keane. He's a strategic analyst now, on, on actually on Fox News. Lot. Oh, I see. We're all friends. We've been yeah. together long. Well, we and we've been knowing each other for a lot of years. And he told me at the time we had a breakfast, and he said, "Well, you ever thought about it being a, a national security advisor to a presidential candidate?" Because it was the beginning of the presidential cycle for 2016. I said, "No, I hadn't thought about it, but I do am now." And, and he said, "Well, look, I know." Uh, I know Jeb Bush, and I know Hillary Clinton. Which way would you like to go? I said, neither. And I said, the guy that I like is this guy, Donald J. Trump. And he goes, well, I don't know him. So uh, I decided to reach out to Trump's, and I eventually was able to get to Donald J. Trump up in Trump Tower in New York City, even though I'd called a lot and nobody had answered the phone. And I found out later because there was really nobody there. It was a really small campaign team. And I went and had a chance to talk to him, kind of basically an interview, and he brought me on. And I think I tell people with a little bit of humor that I think the reason he brought me on was after we talked a bit, he said, what it's going to cost me? And I said, nothing. I want to do a pro bono. He said, you're hired. I said, you know, he's a businessman. Have we get me for free? <laughs> and I stayed with him and um, was really his first national security advisor during that campaign because it was very, very early on. And, and I stayed with him during 2015, 2016 during the campaign. And at the end of the campaign, after he was elected, I was honestly, Steve, thinking about going back, you know, going doing something different. I said, okay, I've done a campaign. Didn't, you know, I had my first and only rodeo. I'm, I'm done. And he said, I want you in the White House. And I, and I said, okay. And he, and he said, well, look, I need you to be the chief of staff to the National Security Council because I kind of want you as a, a fallback guy with, you know, my, with Mike Flynn and KT McFarland, who was the deputy national security advisor. And I said, okay, I'll do it. And uh, then stayed with him then through 1,461 days the entire time uh, that that was there. there sir, when you add up the time that uh, Mike Flynn, H.R. McMaster, John Bolton, and Robert O'Brien were there, I was actually there 33 days longer than they were in the national security realm. So I was able to be with him. And it just started off as a, a professional relationship. It got to be a, a personal relationship. 
I tremendously admire him, and one of the reasons I wrote the book was because I thought there was a caricature about Donald J. Trump that I did not see, one both during the campaign and during the White House years, and I was inside the room. I wasn't didn't have my nose against the window pane and saw it, yes. and I wanted to make sure people saw what I saw. Uh, being with him for that long and his, his true empathy and what he thought about America, how much he believed in America and America's military, and this yes. was my opportunity to kind of set the record straight. Well, General, I think you've answered most of the part of the question I'm going to ask you next. What is the biggest misconception that you can tell us being right there next to Donald Trump for more time than I've ever spent with him? The only connection I have is a strange one. I'm from New York, and Donald Trump was born in Jamaica, and so was I. We were born in the same hospital 10 years apart. But what I'd like to know from you, sir, is, as I've asked before, tell us the biggest misconception that people have about Donald J. Trump, because the media has done a trash job on him, as we know. And I'm certainly a proud supporter of Donald J. Trump, and will be continuing to do so if he chooses to run again. Yeah, you know, Steve, it's a great question, because I tell people, look, I said, okay, I've got the mean tweets. You know, he punches down hard, mm -hmm. and he feels that if somebody, you know, has offended, you know, this nation or anybody that's, just, you know, doubts his patriotism, he, he hits back pretty hard. But I said, weren't our policies pretty good? When the policies came to immigration or terrorism or trade, I think we did a pretty good job to include, to include COVID, yes. creating three vaccines in record, historically record time when no other nations even come close to that. And I think people look at his brashness and how tough he was, and, and they took a different view of him. And I said, you should have looked at his policies, because he's the one who drove all the policies. Yes. And the misconception is is, is it's a leadership uh, uh, area, that he was an incredibly powerful leader that got things done for America. And that's what I'm talking about, how we you know, defeated ISIS, and we went after Soleimani, killed him, got Baghdadi, and you mm -hmm. finished him off, you know, put China on notice uh, on COVID, and like I said earlier, created three vaccines in, in record time. No, no, no medical procedures have been done like that before, where we not, didn't have one vector, we had two different vectors. And now the only other nation... Uh, the U.K. has come close. They produced one, and the Chinese produced one, which nobody wants, Sinovac. And sure. the Russians produced one, Sputnik. They don't want, well, nobody wants to use that one either. And, and it's, I think people misunderstand what a great leader he was, and he's proven that. And, and so I challenge people, Steve, when I go out and talk to people. I said, okay, I've got the mean tweets, but look what we did. Look at the policies we have. Absolutely. About, and, and nobody can push back on me. And that's the challenge I have to him. I said, okay, so what you don't like, you don't like the fact that he was a mean tweet, but you don't give us the credit for having four years of pretty good leadership. You know, when you look at the economy, what the economy looked like before COVID hit us or what yes, our military standing was in the world, uh, how we handled terrorism, it's, it's all right there. No, it's a fantastic read, and people, again, this is a book that we recommend that goes to the top of the Call to Rights bookshelf. That's, again, another great regnery book, and our special guest today, this gentleman, of course, rocks, ladies and gentlemen, retired Army Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg. His book, titled War, By Other Means, A General in the Trump White House. Now, to ask you this more on a personal level, I know the president congratulated you or complimented you on something. When the Mueller investigation began, you were asked to testify, <laughs> yeah. if that's a simple word. Yeah. You went in without an attorney because simply this, truth always wins over everything. And he admired you for having, and I can't use the word here on this show, but he, you know the words that he used. But the point is, yeah. that was brave. I mean, and again, if you have nothing to hide, the truth sets us free. So describe that little interrogation, which wasn't little. It lasted quite a long time. And you went in strong and confident because what, General, the truth outweighs everything else. 
Yeah, Steve, when I was the first one in the White House to go to the Mueller Commission because Ty Cobb, who was the White House attorney, said, we want you to lead, be the first guy there. And I said, he said, well, who's going to take as attorney? I said, I'm not taking anybody. So I'm going by myself. And I said, I believe what my dad told me years ago, you know, tell the truth. You don't have to remember one story. So I went in there without an attorney, and you the president was pretty clear later when he asked me about it. He thought I was nuts, but I said, whatever. But when I went in to talk to him, I said, right, to the uh, to the investigative team that I, I met with there here in D.C., and I told them they were wrong at the very start. I said, look, there was no collusion with the Russians. I would have known. Yeah. I said, I would have seen it. I said, you know, we had trouble with colluding among ourselves at that time. And I said, it just, uh, it, it, you're, you're, you're fundamentally flawed. It's a, it's a political witch hunt. Uh, at the time, and I'm, I think I'm being proven right by that right now with everything coming out with the Durham Commission and Durham investigation. Yes. And I just told them there, sitting sitting across from them, uh, what I what I thought about the investigation. I was very honest with them, and they kept asking, and I kept telling them, I said, you may not like what I'm telling you, but I'm telling you the truth. I said, the fact of the matter is we are authorized to talk during the transition, as an example. We were in a government organization. We had government computers. We had government phones. And, and I, yeah, and he said, did you talk to the Russians? I said, yeah, I talked to the Russians. I talked to the Chinese, too. Sure. I said, I was authorized to do that. And I said, and, and you may not like that I talked to them, but so what? And I think I think it put them on their back foot a little bit because I said, look, I'm not hiding from anything. I said, I'm, I'm, I admit everything we've done, and I'm very proud of what we did. And then when the president later asked me about not taking a lawyer, and I said, I didn't need one. And by the way, nobody ever said anything to me later about it. I wasn't a target of the investigation, and they and they, you saw what happened with the Mueller investigation. They bought it oh, sure. and said there was there was no collusion at all. And I knew that from day one. I said, you know, you, you guys wasted a lot of money and a lot of time, and you you and, and I really blame the mainstream media for this. They exactly. said a story that is just a false story. Absolutely, General. It's amazing, but they have the strength and confidence and poise to do that because, again, once again, you know it. Just like every good person out there, the truth. She'll set you free. We've had Sidney Powell on this radio show many times, and this is even before the time of the entire crisis that was fallen upon the Trump administration. But I wanted you to just give a comparison here. You described something in your book, General Flynn. Your, your answers were straight and truthful, but what happened to him, in your opinion, that, that it kind of like they put the hook in there and it kind of uh, grabbed a little bit hard? What, what happened to him in comparison to you? Yeah, I think what happened is he got uh, very candidly. I think Mike got a little bit scared, got nervous, and when uh, when they came in and talked to him, he told him he basically lied to him. He said that he didn't talk to Kislyak, the Russian ambassador. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what happened was I was actually standing outside his office there there in the West Wing with KT McFarland, and when he walked out of the, when the door opens because I'd asked who was in there and they said the FBI and I was. I said, who's in there with him as a lawyer? And they said, nobody. I said, oh, God. So oh. they opened the door, and this guy came out, and it was later a struck. I found out one other. And I asked Mike, I said, Mike, what's going on in there? And he said, well, you know, these guys just want to talk about transition. And I said, Mike, you should never talk to the FBI without having a lawyer right there. The fact is, these guys sure. came into the White House, and we should have at least had the National Security Council lawyer with us, John Eisenberg, or the White House counselor as well, and he didn't. And later I found out that he said he had never talked to Kislyak. And I told him to Mike, I said, Mike, I said, I, I was chief during the transition. I said, well, of course we talked to these people. And so what? You don't like it? I don't care. The fact is we did, sure. and we were authorized to do it. And I think that's but when when everything is said and done, what happened was that's what they got Mike on, not saying telling the truth to the FBI at the time, but they also hooked him. And here's how they hooked him. They actually, for I guess for lack of a better term, Steve, is they threatened him, and they threatened his family, threatened his oh, son, wow. threatened his livelihood, 
And and I, I think he just said, well, okay, this is what I've got to do. It's really unfortunate. It really made me think a lot less of the FBI and the people that were in the FBI. And I said, you shouldn't do this. You know, Mike's a great American patriot. And the fact of the matter is he was trying to do things that were good and said, okay, he made a little bit of a mistake there. So, you know, mm-hmm. But so what? I mean, you know, this one, they kind of slap on the hand and drive forward. But in the White House, everything is magnified 5, 10, 20, 500 times. And this was just one of them, and, and we were at the start of an administration. They were really, they gave Donald J. Trump no no rest. He never had a honeymoon. I mean, they were talking about impeaching Donald J. Trump oh, yeah. before with the inauguration. And I said we were under we were under constant duress mm-hmm. the entire time. And and unfortunately, Mike um, didn't operate well under that pressure, and they moved him on from there. But I just think what was really unfortunate what the FBI did to him. I think they just set him up. And well, General, just a few more that. questions in the time we have with you today. Yeah. But again, ladies and gentlemen, if you're just joining us on the call to Rights Radio, so a privilege and honor to speak with retired Army Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, as we mentioned before, dedicating his life and that to the nation national service with tours of duty in Vietnam, Panama, and Iraq, and his experiences commanding the 82nd Airborne Division. He served as Chief of Staff of the National Security Council, Acting National Security Advisor to the President, and National Security Advisor to the Vice President. Those are some heavy titles, sir, but I wanted to delve into this one. Another of the media myths here that needs to be talked about, you live this. You were in the room with the call with President Donald J. Trump to the Ukrainian president, and I'm just so amazed to hear what you write in the book, but to share it with the audience here. That was totally distorted, in my opinion, and many others, by the media. And then, to add on to that, we see Lieutenant Colonel you know, Alexander Vidman write a book here, right matters. I mean, you're telling us the truth here, and and describe that call because people need to hear. That's not what the media reported and took this out of context. Well, when you it, because you have to when you put it in context with presidential calls, the president would call people and he'd be very personal. That was one of his real strengths. He'd pick up regardless who he talked to. It was always a a personal call, and it was a you know. An agreeable call where you sit down and talk and you explain things. And there was nothing in that call that I thought was out of bounds. It was a call where it was two people talking. He had never met uh, the, the, the new president of the Ukraine. Uh, uh, and he just kind of was trying to get a feel for the guy. He was just talking. It was just like a, for like a, basically a lot of BS. Couldn't, you know, they were just talking back and forth, you know, having a good, a good time. Yes. And there was nothing there to it. And so when I walked out of the room, I was not excited about it. I didn't see anything done, done untoward at all at it. In fact, he did said the same thing. And when, when the Zelensky call eventually came out, it was, we were up at actually in the UN when the president looked at me and said, why don't we just release the call? Well, people didn't want to release the call because it said a press, exactly. not because of what was in it. And so when he said, no, there's nothing in the call, and he was right, there was nothing there. And of course, he gets impeached on it, but they don't push back by anybody in that room, and I'm talking about Mike Pompeo or me or Vice President Pence, we were all in the room talking to him at the time. It was the fact that they didn't want to set a precedence for releasing presidential documents, but we all agreed. All of us in that room said, there's nothing in that call. And, I, and I'm, it wasn't just Keith Kellogg saying that or uh, Donald J. Trump saying it. It was Pence and Pompeo and the lawyers that were in the room and, and Mulvaney, the chief of staff, was in the room. Nobody was excited about it at all. And it was just one of those things where uh, you have somebody in that room who thought he was the president of the United States, me and Vindman, who mm-hmm. was a lieutenant colonel, 
and he always should have read the Constitution, Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution, which said there's only one commander-in-chief, one leader, and that's the president. He gets the yes. elected college votes. Precisely. And, and, and Vindman never came to me, and, and, and I had uh, somebody else in the room as well, and she never came to me. Nobody ever came to me and complained about it at all. It would have been different if somebody came up to me and said, well, I'm concerned about what he said. But nobody said a word. And nothing, nobody. And so we all thought it was fine. And then, uh, you know, it all breaks and people think it should impeachable offense. And it was it was really, really uh, you know, unfortunate is probably the kind word to be used, but it was wrong. Well, General, and, this but, is By the way, Steve, the president, the president was, uh, when he would talk to people, I don't care if it was Macron of France or Merkel of Germany mm-hmm. or Vladimir Putin or Xi of China, he was always very, very forthright, but he also defended America every time I love it. Uh, if he had a chance to do it. That's what people need to hear, General. And the final, we'll just talk about this and get your response here. McMaster, uh, Millie, Mattis, all the, the M's here in the military circle here. We could go on for hours about your opinion about some of these things, right or wrong, but the thing I want to ask you straight up, sir, you're a military man, you know what you're talking about. My concern here is now a civilian, and I talk on the air about these subjects about America's security, not like you, I'm concerned about the communist uh, Chinese and what they're doing. Just describe the threat, because I think it's extremely serious. What do we need to do as a nation to make sure that, not not that we want war, but I think they're advancing in so many ways, the assault on Taiwan, military space, so many other things. And now, I just heard yesterday, sir, I guess you heard it too, building mock-ups of aircraft carriers in the deserts of China to look at ways to strategically take out these uh, particular vessels. I'm concerned. What say you? Yeah, so am I. In fact, they're the they're, they're the threat I worry about. I mean, I'm not worried about the, the Russians. If you want to know the truth, sometimes I say to people, look, Russia, think of it this way, that Russia's Belgium with nuclear weapons. I said, economically, they're not strong at all. They're, they're, mm-hmm. We've got NATO, a very strong alliance that's sitting right on the border. Board, and it hasn't pretty well, for lack of a better term, contained. But you look at China, China's an emergent threat. It's the third largest military in the world. They're, they're growing uh, with 2.3 million active troops. They're developing a nuclear triad. They don't have it yet because they don't have the, the air power, the, the nuclear bombers that we have. But they've got ballistic missile submarines. They're building, they're building hypersonic missiles that are out there. Mm-hmm. They're clearly training to do something to be very, very aggressive uh, in the region and then probably expand that as well. Remember, they, I remind people, you know, when they created what's called the nine-dash line, that actually is what they consider to be their territorial waters that goes all the way down to, you know, uh, Malaysia. Mm-hmm. I said they they have these fortified islands in the South China Sea. And President Xi, when he came to with President Obama in the Rose Guard, said they would never fortify those islands. Well, he did. He he fortified all the islands that were out there, the Spratly Islands, and so he's clearly aggressive. They're clearly trying to develop their military. They're clearly putting pressure on Taiwan with the amount of flights that have gone into what they call the ADS, the Air Defense Identification Zone. Right. Uh, with with Taiwan trying to threaten them, trying to beat them down in morale wise, and also eventually probably trying to take them over a military force if they can get away with it. They're not quite there yet, but they're growing on a daily basis, and they're putting a lot of money, uh, expending uh, a, a lot of effort to increase their military to compete with us in the area. So I think people need to be, pay attention to that because when you combine their military growth with their economic growth, and the fact that they're trying to you know, change everybody's mind through education with these uh, Confucius Institutes they've got throughout the globe and actually in the United States. Uh, We need to keep very, very close look on China because it is an emergent threat and it is an aggressor nation. Absolutely. Joe, it's a privilege and honor to have you here. And I think I want to just ask you one final question here. 
I know that uh, people, and I'm going to save this so people can get the book, War by Other Means, you list an extensive list of the accomplishment achievements that you were part of in the Trump administration. That's a very lengthy list and one that we're very proud of. But what's the main theme that you want people to get out of this book as, as we conclude this interview today and hope we can talk in the future? Yeah, I, I did. But the main thing I want people to, to realize is there's a caricature of Donald J. Trump that is just not true. The man was an incredible leader. Um, he had great instincts. He had great intelligence. And he accomplished a lot for nation. And the one I throw out at everybody, because this is the one that kind of they went after him politically, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. I said, when you look what we did for COVID, he's the one who did that. Yeah. When he brought the pharmaceuticals in and said, how can we make vaccines in a hurry? And they said, well, what you got to do is throw money at it and make sure there's no regulatory controls on us and you basically, you know, that would constrain us. And he did all that. And within a year, we didn't have one or two, but three different vaccines off two different vectors. Some of, one of them was never been done before, the MNRA, uh, the RNA uh, vector. Right. And, and, and we were able to produce those and produce them at risk, meaning manufacture risk where you create vaccines and develop the vaccines uh, while you're still testing them. So you'd have them ready the day that, that the vaccines are approved. So we were, I was actually shot the day the vaccine was approved, the emergency use authorization by the FDA. I got my shot that night because we were shooting up the national security team to make sure they're ready to go. And nobody gave him credit for that. In fact, his on inauguration day for Joe Biden, we there were one million people received the vaccine that day. That was never done before. So we, it was a tough time for us, but he handled it. It was all being driven by Donald J. Trump. I think need, people need to sit back and look and say, this guy was a pretty darn effective leader. Uh, I, I granted, he could be pretty tough when he talked, uh, but he was. When you look at the results that he brought to the United States of America and protecting America, uh, you can't criticize what he did. General Kellogg, it's an honor to have you here. Hope we can do this again. The book one more time, ladies and gentlemen, from Regnery, the great publishing house, War by Other Means, a general in the Trump White House. I leave this with you, General, as I ask you to please stay on the line as we go to the heartbreak here at the bottom of the hour. Something that, of course, is inspiration for America from a foreign leader of a long time ago, as you put in the book. And I quote, success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. The quote, as you know so well, sir, from Winston Churchill. God bless America and our veterans as we approach Veterans Day 2021. General, thank you for your time. That concludes this exciting edition, at least I believe so, and the general, I'm sure it does too, of the Colter Rights Radio Show, a show that's been around for well over 15 years, once again, talking about American exceptionalism, our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, our Second Amendment, as we continue to talk about the American way. Thank you, General. Thank you, Steve. 